Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of What's Good with Kente. I am your host, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and this is episode number eight. I have a special co-host. He was actually my first guest on the show, uh, the one and only Ryan Perez. What's up, Ryan? How are you doing, my brother? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, this is uh, Canada Week on Indie Radio, so see? You feeling it out, mm. so. Yes, yes, most definitely. Yeah. Oh, Canada. <laughs> Joining us tonight, this guy, I've known him for quite a while. I think I've gotten to know him a little bit better in the last se uh, several months. Um, this guy's name is Carlos Phoenix. Uh, I know him from back in the B word days. We won't see what that B word is. Uh, <laughs> uh, this guy, man, I, I'm going to just be honest about something about Carlos. My Bobby, who's in the chat room, Leland, I bugged it, and Ryan too. I bugged the shit out of these guys trying to get technical information and all that kind of stuff. When people come to me and they want technical advice, you're basically bothering Carlos. <laughs> you're basically bothering Ryan because when you, who do you think I get my stuff from? <laughs> I go to either one of those guys or Leland or whatever. And I'm sure they're happy to do it. Uh, we're going to go with that, <laughs> even if that's not the truth. But uh, I really respect this guy. He um, does his he does his different programs. He's a tech wizard, um, just an all-around cool guy. Uh, what's up, Carlos? Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you, man. And it's funny, though. Like I've, I've known about you. I've known of you for quite a while. And it, since this pandemic, it feel, I feel like I'm really getting to know you on, on another level, just from the, the programs that you do and whatnot. And um, it's, I, I love the fact that you've created this community um, that we all come at almost daily. And sometimes when you're not on, it's like, man, where the hell Carlos at? <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's our attitude. Um, so we're going to talk about the community that you've, you've uh, cultivated as well as the different things that you're into. But I, I want to, I always like to start off with the origin story. Mm. And uh, so where are you from originally? Where are you hail from? So I was born in Elmhurst, Queens, New York. And now I live in Flushing, Queens. So it's hop, skip, and a jump. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that we've interviewed, uh, they come from New York, right? So many talented people come from New York. I'm starting to feel like you went to that school, that high school from fame, <laughs> because it seems like- No, oh uh, yeah, that's the performing arts school. Um, close, uh, we're a sister school or a brother school, I don't know what they call it. Uh, I went to the high school of art and design. So I did go locally in Flushing to the tree school and the junior high school and you know, got to know some, some of the local friends. And some of them became, let's say, stars or musicians or whatever like you want to call that. Uh, but the, uh, I chose, during junior high school, I was either very good in science and math, was definitely always into drawing and doodling on homeworks and stuff. And I thought, you know what, I can either be a scientist or an artist. And artists seemed more like cooler and, and also simpler. I didn't realize the complexity of art, even though I was doing it, but I was not taught. So I didn't know the complexity of it. And compared to, let's say, eight or seven years of college for being a scientist, um, I chose art because I thought it was simpler and uh, and then realized it wasn't. 
But um, then I went to the high school of art and design. When I went to the high school of art and design, uh, we learned uh, basic drafting, and this is all pre-computer stuff, so nobody had computers yet. And uh, you're still doing traditional photography with film and all these other things. You had all these classes that had art-related stuff, so uh, photography and drafting and doing paste-up mechanical art, which is what we call graphic design today. Um, you had your, your drawing, your you know, designing of shoes, for example, or how to do posters, all sorts of different conceptual, you know, uh, compositioning. And then we also had our nude models to draw from. And uh, in the midst of all that, by the second year of high school, um, my mother worked for an ad agency uh, doing the, the commercials. And she said, you should work for the paper version, which is uh, doing uh, advertisements for magazines and newspapers. And I thought I was just going to be cleaning up garbage. And uh, when they found out that I was going to that high school, they tested me to do ads and they hired me as one of the draftmen. Wow. And, you, know, you know, one thing that uh, I always like to ask people is, at what point did you really know that this was for you? Like, was there a point, was there that moment where because, I mean, we've all, like, wanted to do things. Like, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And then I went to a high school where uh, two things messed that up. I discovered girls. And also I realized I didn't really want I want. I didn't want that life. So when did you realize that, oh, wait, this is a, something that I like, but it, this is what I really want to go to do? So you're talking about uh, the, like, being an artist, like, saying, you know, what, definitively? Well, I mean, I, I can tell you, I started, let's say, drawing with crayons or, or uh, trying to, my mom used to give me like coloring books. We were very poor. And um, the reason we were poor is uh, when I was two, I had open heart surgery and they had to sacrifice uh, any kind of livelihood so that I can survive. So for my entire life, uh, up until the age of 21, maybe they were paying for the surgery that I had when I was two. And um, and what they did is they took out my heart, they fixed it, put it back in. I mean, I, I make it very basic and simple because I don't want to make it really bad. It, it, visually, I'm sure it was very sad. I know for them it was an emotional wreck. I had to be in the hospital on and off for many, many, many years. Mm. But, um, but but we did poor, and so crayons and coloring books were like my the thing that allowed the most creativity. I didn't get toys and games and that type of stuff like I'm sure some of the kids did. We're in a poor black neighborhood, so I was like the only white looking kid, even though I'm Latino. Um, so mm -hmm. I was definitely picked on, beat up a lot. Um, There's a lot of bullying, you know, I, just being at the bus stop, you're getting your butt kicked every day. Uh, and and so it's not no animosity, obviously, towards uh, the, the black community or, or any community right now, but especially with today's times and that's being a topic. But as I grew up and I got to be into the art field, um, I really still wanted to get into sciences. I still studied it. I still learned a lot about it. And um, and so, so but basically when I was five is when I knew I had some kind of artistic uh, capability. And the way I knew is that I just didn't fill in the colors. I tried to make it full realistic. I tried to give it three dimensions with shadows and stuff like that. So the $6 million man coloring book looked like he could have been a you know japanese anime <laughs> dimensional kind of character and and so that you know and i just grew up with that um cartoons and comics and stuff like that is what i grew up with sci-fi fantasy illustrators was my thing. 
And so I idolized a particular artist called Boris. And when I saw his artwork, uh, he does these Conan the Barbarian type paintings. I said, that's what I want to do. And so that's what I pursued all the way into college. And then that's what I did. I ended up doing that as a career. And in college, I actually met Boris's son, which then allowed me to go to Boris's house and paint there, along with tons of other stories with, you know, very famous artists. Wow. What, oh, that's incredible. Um, now, uh, how do you, you know, we all start off uh, idolizing, you know, the greats, right? Whether, whether you're a musician, um, if you, you know, if you play the guitar, there's certain guitars that you uh, pattern yourself after, and then you kind of figure out your own style. How did you kind of develop your own, you know, style of uh, art? And and what, and and how do you even get to a point where you become like your own entity as an artist? Well, um, so as an artist, I can tell you, I felt I was behind. So even in high school, like um, I didn't really do too much painting in high school. I did start doing painting, uh, like and when I say paintings, oil paintings. Till I, I probably started in college. Um, I went to one year of FIT and I thought I sucked. And FIT really the painting program wasn't that good. So uh, to inspire myself, I ended up going to Italy and really just say, you know what, I want to see what the masters really did. I want to I want to look at the actual painting, not look at it in the textbook. So we went to uh, went to Italy, went to there and really just study the art. And um, and of course they taught how they did it, which is, you know, a tempera and like, it wasn't just straight out and oil, you know, you don't go to the store and buy oil colors. Over there, they had to make their colors. So I learned all that and I realized, okay, well, that's a lot of work. Uh, let me just buy the painting, the paints. And, um, but the inspiration was solid. When I went back to New York, um, I quit the first school I went to and and, and that in itself is a story, but you know, unless you, you want to know, I'll, I'll skip it. Uh, and then I went to the second college called School of Visual Arts. And I had a lot of high school friends there. I had uh, very famous painters who were teaching and it was a phenomenal time period in the world of art um, to be surrounded by some of the top illustrators that exist today, uh, who now, you know back then were just and I was blown away because they are a million times better than I am. And I never thought I could ever catch up. So business-wise, you had to be competitive and you know, and you know they're gonna take your jobs because they're just a hundred times better. The catch was they were slow. And so I so when you asked the question about well, how'd you define your technique? My technique was look, if I can't beat them, I gotta figure a way around them. And so I was able to do fairly decent paintings in a very short amount of time that they couldn't compete. Like for them, it was all about the quality of the art. I'm realizing illustrations business. So so I, I just developed the techniques that I can paint in oil and have it dry by Sunday, you know, and then be able to hand the painting and then they can publish it. And uh, so that ended up being my weapon is speed over super high, high resolution quality. And, you know, people like the techniques or the, the look of the art that I do but in comparison to people I know, I am it, mine is very amateurish. I was going to ask you um, when it comes to you know your education and, and all of the education that you went through, and also having the natural uh, the natural talent. Do you find that nowadays with art, 
Um, and because everyone is using iPads and Photoshop and, you know, there's technology always coming out, you know, speeding up the, the, the process, you know, almost too much where, you know, people are not doing the heavy lifting anymore. Right. Uh, right. You know, a lot of it's being done by AI and, and other tech. Do you find that um, your education was still valuable uh, or do you think that, or do you think that people need to go through what you've, that what you've gone through, um, you know, to make it nowadays? Uh, yeah. So when I grew up, um, I was very anti-technology. Yeah, I liked science, but I was more into like, space and and uh, astrophysics and stuff like that. Uh, but but when it came to computers, I really was against them. And the reason uh, when I was doing ad, ads for like Cosmopolitan magazine and Vogue, uh, the New York Times for clients like Ford Motor Company, Pan Am, Shore Deodorant. Um, we were doing everything by hand. Everything was using tweezers and scissors and blades and rubber cement. And there was always that rumor of, well, you know, soon computers are going to do this and we're going to all be out of a job. So, I, you know, as an early age, I became very tainted against technology as taking away jobs. Uh, then Photoshop and Illustrator and Quark Express and all these apps or applications came out. And I was very anti-learning them. When it comes to artwork and painting, um, there were still years behind. The, you know that technology wasn't available yet. Fast forward to now, a lot of the artists' friends that I have, some have acclimated to the digital world. I have not. Um, I still want to do my oil paintings, and um, and I do draw on my iPad. I you know I just picked up the, the newest one literally about two weeks ago with the new Apple Pen. And uh, and I'm loving it. I haven't done like a full blown illustration yet because I, you know, it's almost like a color. That's part of why I'm not liking it. While with oil painting, it's not like a color book. You really start feeling, you know, where the blood is supposed to be underneath the flesh, and you're you're mixing colors to represent that and all that type of stuff. And uh, but but I've acclimated really well to it, and are, are actually able to mimic what they do in oil in a digital platform. And I, I, you know, it'll just take some time for me to kind of get into that. You know, a lot of people have a hard time with the transition. Like, I know this uh, a, a person who was an animator, worked for Disney, and all of that kind of stuff. And then when they started doing the transition, he he just couldn't transit transition, and um, got left behind. Couldn't really get jobs. And he ended up killing himself. So. Oh geez, yeah, well, that's that's not our point of it. Yeah, no. Well, I'm... Part, part of the philosophy you got to get into there mm -hmm. is, um, is it you or is it your passion for the creativity? Mm. So, so one thing that occurred is you know uh, I worked um, in illustration for a long period of time. At the same time, I was also working for film and television, doing art direction, building sets, uh, set dressing, things of that nature. And so I went in between back and forth with both different types of careers. And what I found is that, you know, as long as you know, like the lighting, the compositioning, um, you know, and, and, and basic concepts of art, uh, you can acclimate and use that in a, a majority, like a ton of different ways. So as long as the creativity, the core of what you are um, is passionate and beautiful, you can, you can tackle uh, you know, shifting from one type of another, as long as your core is all about creativity, uh, imagining what it can be. 
And so that's how I transitioned because at some point I got, I, you know, had a car accident. I left all my careers and I had to shift. I had to change. So I got into uh, post-production video editing. I got into, you know, some motion graphics, not a lot. I, I don't do that anymore. Uh, and then we got into live streaming uh, early on. And so, so all those kind of triggered other creativities in my head that made me not miss the art so much. But, you know, I mean, I still would love to do art. Now it's a matter of time. Uh, the creativity of being doing lives and, and creating visual um, content and beauty and letting people kind of enjoy uh, that creativity is part of my passion. And the other part is being able to do what you're doing now, which is interviewing creative people. So, so my, my passion is just translated differently. And, and I, you know, I said, okay, look, I succeeded in career for a little bit and it's okay to transition. Some people just are, are stuck and they don't want to change. And that's unfortunately all life is, has changed. I mean, look at the past year and that's for all of us. Uh, everything changed, everything right under our noses. Nobody really got to lock it in. Um, and so now we all have to pivot uh, to possibly a different career or possibly a different way of doing things. And that's natural and it's beautiful and we should embrace it. Uh, so whether it's creativity, whether it's your math or your science or whatever it is that you're deep into, there is another thing you can do with it, not to be stuck on one thing. How do you think, um, how do you think a person in this day and age who is a freelance artist, you know, how do you think they should um, adapt in these these times? Because things are changing rapidly. You know, we go from pandemic to uh, uh, civil wars, and um, you know, and it's. I think that some artists that care a lot about the quality, you know, still want to take their time. But when you see in music and all these different, um, any you know, in the art in the art industry in different, different verticals, uh, you, I think sometimes people feel like they need to rush through their art, you know, so that they can make a living and so that they can establish their names. You know, how, what would you advise for artists nowadays? You know, should they rush through their work? Should they try to meet the demand as things change or, you know, can an artist still be an artist and not have to, um, not have the wave shift all the time or have themselves shift with the waves, right? Like, can they just be st stuck in, in what they're trying to do? In, in art. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <clears throat> you have to be ready to change. You have to be able to go with the wave, you know, let just let you flow. Uh, it, it, there are, of course, there's plenty of careers that will allow you to stay intact. Um, but the only way you're going to survive through it is understanding what did shift in the process of doing that. So an example, if you're a comic book artist, well, you know, there was a big, I started working in comic books. Marvel was gone. Like they were, they went bankrupt and I was working, I was doing a, a book for Marvel and that all disappeared under my, under my nose It never got published and so on. And so that that's a smaller version of the shift that's happening in the world today. But for me, it was like, oh, my God, if Marvel's gone, what, what's left? And, you know, there was only one other major company. And the result was 
independent comics grew. So you had uh, something called Image Comics, which created characters like Spawn and a bunch of others. Uh, another friend of mine created uh, Crusade Comics, uh, created a character named She. And so as that, using that as an example, if you're an artist of today, the key is, okay, well, look, it went from paper to now digital, and now you're able to create comics digitally. And, and now you went from digital to being able to publish yourself. So if you're an artist, a comic book artist in particular, you can take this as an opportunity of saying, okay, you know what? Everybody has been pressed. The reset button has been pressed. Um, we did an interview just yesterday alone with a Latin comic book artist, and his comics included the pandemic. It included, uh, you know, that Latinos were picking up crops and this and that, and he turned it into a story. So if you're really creative, look at what's going on. You know, things like, uh, you know, uh, the, the racism, uh, things like the fascism. I mean, those are stories that can totally create mind-boggling concepts artistically, and you will stand out. You just have to be there. You have to be present with what's going on around you and use your art and your talent to tell the story. And and, and, and you you put you, you create your own space uh, in doing so. Mm. Um, so let's talk about uh, how you got into heavy into technology uh, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but, um, but uh, it's funny though, that you were talking about how you were anti-technology and you couldn't tell now that that was uh, Carlos. <laughs> Yeah. So it'd be fun. It's like a, a, a old school Carlos versus new school Carlos. That uh, uh, there's a big uh, d gap there. So talk about how you bridge that gap. So part of it uh, occurred when um, I had the big car accident. So uh, we were just Argentinian before we started recording, and uh, shortly after the story I told, um, I had a car accident. Um, so it was a pretty big car accident. Uh, a car pileup, uh, ambulances had crashed, police cars had crashed. I mean, it was a mess. And it's all because a guy was uh, was showing off his new car, zigzagging on the expressway, lost control, and not to kill him. Uh, eventually, a van hit me from behind and just destroyed my car and his car and everything. And so it hurt my back. Um, I was also working on a KRS-1 album cover at the same time. And so it ruined everything. So I did the painting. I finished it. I realized that the pain that I was going through to finish it was insane. And I walked away. Uh, I finished the piece, and that was my last piece that I published. And uh, and then I had to pivot. Uh, and, and and that changed my life pretty much forever. Uh, and I never, I didn't date heavily at the time. So that was a big wake-up call. Uh, hence, you know, I had moved to Miami and trying to see what that was like. Uh, and then I moved back. And I got into post-production. So post-production is really what triggered the technology taste bud. And at the time, it was just starting to transition. Just like I talked about um, going from paste-up rubber cement, razor blades, tweezers, to Illustrator, Photoshop, and, uh, and Express. Um, we were still doing tape-to-tape. We're still we're still doing like I remember we we're doing an edit for of Terminator, one or two I don't remember which one, uh, in preparation for Showtime because I was working for a company called Broadway Video, and we we're doing the commercials for like HBO and Showtime, and um, 
and there's a big fat one inch tape that you're splicing by hand and putting pieces together and stuff like that. And then we had one room or two rooms that were like the first media 100s, which were the first like real digital editing software hardware where you didn't have to use tape at all. It was all in a hard drive and you're editing from the hard drive. And so I was like, hey, can I, can I learn it? And so I was doing an overnight shift and I was just learning, 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 because I'm like, wow, this is a lot easier than cutting and, and using razor blades and stuff like that. And so I learned, you know, a little bit about post-production. And then uh, I, I hated the overnight shift. So eventually I left, but doing stuff for MTV, Wayne's World, a bunch of other stuff. And uh, that exposure kind of got me excited about when the web happened. And so I started a little design company at the time called Realms of Design, and we were doing, you know, half a million dollar websites. We were doing code by hand. Like we weren't using Dreamweaver. We weren't using uh, a bunch of whatever software was created to create websites because they made them too big. And Yahoo at the time had limitations as to if you want to be searchable, you had requirements. You have to be like 13 kilobits to be a qualifying web page to show up on a search engine. Dreamweaver is making them 26 or a megabyte, and Ambudum was just too slow to make the website show up fast enough. So there's all these little fine details, and all those fine details just made it more interesting of how to develop techniques artistically to create very beautiful websites that were functional, but mathematically still be able to comply to the rules of the internet at the time. And this is before e-commerce. This is the this is the internet bubble, the dot-com boom, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, and it burst spaces because nobody had a way of making money. So they're spending millions of dollars on websites. We were going to all the parties. <laughs> we were always in tuxedos, you know, left and right. And uh, and then it all fell apart. And then that was the rebirth of the internet again. So there's a lot of things that happened in that time period. It was phenomenal, but at the same time, sad. Look, I. I, I got to do this as a hip-hop guy, and I know you're not a hip-hop guy, Carlos. I worked you on a lot of hip-hop videos. You casually mentioned you worked on a Karis One album cover. Mm-hmm. And I put a little context for all you hip-hop people out there. The album was called I Got Next, which is a classic record, dude. Yes. It's a great... I was listening to it the other day, and it came oh, out... Really? Yeah, I love that record. That's one of that's a great... I love Karis One. He's in my Mount Rushmore. But uh, that record is dope. So you don't realize this, but to be involved with something that awesome, that's extra great for you. So uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I just can't let you casually mention, oh, I worked on this KRS record. It's like a great well, All right, so let's touch upon that a little mm-hmm. So at the time when I started, uh, right before I quit mm-hmm. doing productions, um, uh, Keith, I've worked with uh, on music videos for Keith Sweat. Oh wow! Um, uh, uh, well, the biggest one in terms of let's say music, since we're talking about that, mm-hmm. was um, Buster Rhymes. Mm. So one of his most famous videos, one awards with MTV Music Video Awards, was "Put Your Hands Where I Can See Him." Mm-hmm. He really want to party. And a great beat. I mean, it, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Great video. And right? so, so there's plenty of stories on that, but. Um, so I grew up in that environment, um, the terror squad, you know, I was in some of the, the, 
uh, the recording studios when they're doing some of these great albums that you guys maybe, well, the young kids may not know about it, but, you know, those who know classic hip hop are familiar with uh, Bat Joe, um, Tara, uh, Link, um, Lean Back, and, and, and a bunch of others. And, and I just met them through connections. I mean, all, all of my youth was all about networking. You know, I freelanced for like 20 years and all of it, 100%. You know, I never had to send a resume and like, I never had a real job as people would put it. Mm -hmm. I was always like, Hey, you got to call Carlos. He, he, you know, he can do this. Um, I worked for Disney funk. Here's a Disney story that that would be fun to kind of share. Mm -hmm. So star Wars episode one was going to show a trailer. Mm -hmm. Now I'm a huge, massive star Wars fan. It's part of the inspiration for being a sci-fi artist. Oh, wow. Okay. And we're in a movie theater right by Lincoln Center, and we're in line. And I'm in line with a bunch of well-known comic book artists. And we're all going to see this trailer to the movie. Mm -hmm. We're going to see a movie. <laughs> we're just going to see the trailer. Right. The I remember. Yeah. And the movie that was going to be shown was Meet Joe Black. It's funny that I remember this. Right. And so I'm on. So we're on this line. And Entertainment Tonight is interviewing everybody. Like we're we're all getting interviewed from Entertainment Tonight because we're all there for the trailer of the movie. And of course, Star Wars is a big deal. So, um, so we're just saying, you know, we're big fans. It's not and whatever. And I get a phone call. Uh, we had cell phones. You know, cell phones are still fairly. Fun. And I answer the phone, and it's some guy saying that he's from Disney. Hmm. And he goes, "Hey, listen, you know, you got recommended highly." Uh, we, we have a, a project for you. We'd love for you to see your portfolio. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I can't leave. The, like, they wanted me to show up now. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm here. I've been online for two hours to see the Star Wars trailer. Um, I, I can't just go to you. And, and you know, we're talking about like Disney. Right. And I'm like, whatever. I'm seeing Star Wars trailer. It's more important than you. And... <laughs> So they're just like, what? You do understand this is Disney, right? And they're like, really? and, and I'm like, you do understand this is Star Wars, right? So we just have this little back and forth. And they're like, look, is there a way we can see your art? And I'm like, and, and AOL at the time, America Online, allowed, gave you some space to put like a website together. And I just happened to have put my portfolio on the free AOL webpage thing. I said, look, here's my web, web page. And I gave it to them. And I guess they saw it on their side. And they're like, oh, oh, dude, you're fine. You're hired. Don't worry about it. Enjoy the movie. Bye. And I got hired while standing in line. I want to see a Star Wars trailer. Hilarious. That is wow. hilarious. And they bought they bought Star Wars later just to keep you in line. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. Just to see the trailer. That is yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and as a side note, uh, you ain't gonna like this, but I actually like Jar Jar. <laughs> uh, well, hey, look, a lot of people don't understand that Jar Jar. <laughs> if we're gonna talk Star Wars, um, Jar Jar is literally the creation of the Empire. Right. If Jar Jar was not in the movie, the Empire would never have existed. Right. Uh, oh. Nobody, and nobody, nobody understands that. Like, mm -hmm. if you watch the movies again and and understand the importance of Jar Jar. There's one scene where he gives a final vote. If not for that vote, 
the whole all the other nine movies or the, all the other six movies would not exist. Right. But that's a whole oh. show. And and just as a side note, Ahmad Best is the comedian who plays him. And before oh, episode one came out, uh, don't worry, we're getting back to the interview. All the, people, <laughs> all the people who are like Star Wars, really. Uh, I saw like <laughs> they did this thing about how Ahmad Best. This was like a big moment for him, and all this before the movie came out. So I was destroying when it was over, like watching that little piece they did on him. You couldn't root, you could not root for the guy, right? Because it was a really cool piece, and then it comes out. So I went into it rooting for him and the character, right? So I didn't have the the string negative that everybody did. I mean, you know, he was like a kiddie character, or whatever, and people hated him so much. And it was like, it was like after you seen that piece, and then you saw it, it was like you wanted the guy to do well, and I felt bad what happened to, you know to the guy it's kind of ruined his career but um uh but you know but anyway i digress all right that's we're, we're done with star wars for now uh <laughs> but anyway um okay so um we're talking about the mixture of technology which you do and uh one thing i i really like is it seems like you really keep up with trends uh you know i could go to you for what's good, what's not. You always give your honest opinion. Uh, I don't feel I don't feel like you are bought by anybody. So you, it's not like you're in bed. It doesn't seem like you're in bed with anybody. Uh, I'm talking about uh, technology wise. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so you know, like some people, if they're kind of getting a little, you know, payola from you know, they'll suggest something that ain't necessarily the best, and they'll try to make you believe it's. You know which you should should mess with, but it seems like with you, I get your honest opinion, and uh, which I really appreciate, right? And um, even if it is something that you do use, you will always say the pros and the cons. You don't just say. It seems like you're not a hundred percent married to anything. It seems like you'll hop in bed with the next best thing. Uh, hopefully, you love that terminology. <laughs> I do. I do. Hopefully, oh, that's hopefully. Hopefully that's only uh, when it comes to technology, not uh, outside of technology. But, but um, so um, just kind of talk about like about like when it go- when it comes to, I want you like a lot of us in our chat room, for example, we're all content creators. A lot of us, right? Some of the people that are listening um, in the downloads, they probably won't. They may not be. But the the hardest thing sometimes is to figure out what platform. Do we want to, you know, put our stuff on what platform to avoid, you know, as well? Um, like I give you example, Twitch, right? Uh, I always get this question. You probably, you probably, you might get this question too. I get people say, "Hey, should I use Twitch?" You know, I don't do video games, but I see that there's other podcasters using Twitch. Um, you know, so does that fit me? Should I get on Snapchat? Chat? Should I get on um, what's the one that the kids like now? Uh, TikTok. Uh, I sound like an old guy. Uh, and so when it comes to platforms, like, what's your rule of thumb as far as what platform, you know, should you be looking at um, to uh, to possibly put your material on? Are you like, are you one of those put it on everything, or are you like? Nah, see, um, so I'm more I'm more of the camp of look. You only got 24 hours in a day, mm-hmm. so uh, personally, it, it starts with you. Uh, what are you about, or what is your content about? Uh, mm-hmm. So that's you know, for me, it starts like that, and then 
um, who does that appeal to? Uh, okay, so you simply keep it simple at first, and then uh, then you start looking at okay, well, there's these 25 different platforms that I can just throw shit on. Excuse my terminology, mm-hmm. but how many will watch? So, an example, we just did a big thing on uh, Quinta Mayo, uh, May 5th. Mm-hmm. It was a big event, had like tons of movie stars and mu- mu- uh, famous musicians in the Latin community. And we streamed it in nine locations. And one of them was Periscope with uh, people, people in Espanol. Mm-hmm. And so I was checking on the platforms to see how big the audiences were. And some were like 10,000, some were like 30,000, some, you know. And then I go to, Periscope, which you know, effort to get it onto that platform, and there was one, <laughs> right? Like- so, so that, so that kind of tells you something. Um, and you can experiment. I mean, there is no rule, there's no law, there's no, you know, and, and there'll be master classes and all this other stuff teaching you all this. It look, there is no, there's no rule, there's no anything. It's really you understanding what your message is and what you're trying to say and if it's going to be consistent in every episode and that type of thing. And then who listening to it, where do they watch this stuff? Mm-hmm. And going to too many platforms, some people use multiple platforms, but what's the point in visiting the same person in four platforms when you just hit them up on one? Right. So in, in respect to that, um, you know, I was very anti-Snapchat because uh, there were certain things that they had in place that I thought were detrimental to children, and there was no way to stop them. Um, and so I was very not into them. And everybody was like, all the social media guys were like, "Oh, go Snapchat, Snapchat," and that went nowhere. Um, and then now, of course, TikTok. Oh, everybody! And I'm like, I'm not even going to bother. One, I'm not. In, I don't care for their affiliation to China and a bunch of other controversies. Mm. But um, but that fun platform and there's people doing business stuff and all that stuff. But really, you're just now becoming part of the mush. So, you know, if you if you as soon as it's mush, then there's less clarity. And so for me, it's like, well, I feel it's more important to be clear than to just do it because that's where the cool kids might be. Um, because then your message stays clean. The other thing is to understand what the rules are on each platform. So. Uh, YouTube and Facebook, for example, have rules. You didn't read any of them. <laughs> Most nobody did. So you understand that when you're creating content on these platforms, they co-own your content. And they can do whatever the heck they want with your show. So they can make money off of your show. They can put in an ad and without asking your permission and all that stuff. And you can complain all you want. But you said yes the day you logged in. So it really kind of comes down to what is your mission with your content and which one has the best um, agreement for you to make it more yours than theirs. So um, so I, I use you know Facebook and I use, but I understand that this is not the end all be all. So my mission is to eventually circumvent all of it and own my own but uh, create something that would allow others to own their own too and still be able to be profitable or whatever it is the mission is. You know, speaking of which, uh, creating your own platform, I know that you have the Lounge Network um, and uh, a few other um, media outlets that 
really cater to the Latin community. And, you know, I think that, you know, when it comes to the, the black community or the Latin community, you know, there's not a lot of representation uh, in the media. And, um, and I think that I have to, you know, uh, tip my hat to you because um, of your dedication to your community. But, you know, how did you get there? I mean, um, I know that um, in, in previous broadcasts and whatnot, you had mentioned that, you know, you consider yourself, you know, from Queens, right? And, yeah. you know, and there's d- d- discussions and I, and I can understand where you're coming from when it's in regards to that, but you still embrace your Latin culture and you really put a lot of people on, um, on, on your platform. So, you know, why go in that direction? I mean, you've, you've had so much experience working on film and working with celebrities, you know, why are you, um, wanting to lift people up in your community? Can can I, um, can I say something to add to that? So basically Ryan says he spent a whole, a bunch of time working for the white man. So why are you, why are you dealing with your your Spanish brethren? Oh, oh, so so that I mean uh, that that's a good question. That's not uh, what I meant. <laughs> I, I know. What you meant. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, one, the last film I worked on was an Argentinian film, and they hired crew in the United States because obviously it's just easier to work with people that speak English, and but they spoke Spanish, and so we had to work together as a team. So that was a little inspirational thing there. Second, um, uh, to kind of elaborate for those who don't know. Uh, I am born from Queens, uh, but my parents are Hispanic Colombian. They were born in Colombia. And, you know, they came to this country and the whole story there. The key is, uh, people, you know, there's always been a conversation of, well, well, Carlos is Colombian, you know, and then the person is Puerto Rican and the person is Dominican, even if they're born in the United States. The catch is, if I go to Colombia, they call me American. If, I, you know, they call me gringo, they call me, you know. So the, the funny thing is, well, no, well, if, if everybody else is saying that I'm Colombian, but you're saying I'm American, what exactly am I supposed to be? And so I said, you know what? Let me clarify that in my clarity is, I don't squat about their culture. I know what I hear from my parents, but that's just like religion. Like it's, it's, it's all hearsay. And yeah, you can study it on your own, but you know, there's no place to take a Colombian history here. So, you know, you learn what you learn and stuff like that. Netflix, but, just but watch the, Narcos. Say again? Just watch Narcos on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, well, that's the thing. So, and then that leads to the other part of the, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, A, I personally don't identify with, let's say, the culture that I should be identifying with, which is my parents' culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I more identify with the American way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I go over there and I can't even wash a dish because I'm a man, and that's their culture over there. And I come here, I'm like, all I do is wash dishes when I when I eat and stuff. And like, I'm like, where, where's that mentality? So I don't identify with their understanding of their culture. Thank um, I with that. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. So, so you know, yeah, I enjoy their music. I enjoy maybe an occasional movie or TV show. Mm-hmm. And then there is the stereotypes, mm-hmm. and the stereotypes is is a big thing. Um, it affects all color communities from Asian, uh, black, Hispanic, and I can go on and on. Amen. And the thing is, Hollywood is under control of a different mentality. So when I want to hire a Hispanic, 
um, or Latino, whatever they want to call it. Um, it's usually with a stereotype. They're the maid, they're the drug dealer, they're the bad guy, they're, you know, Isai Morales, who's a buddy of mine, just got picked to become the villain for the next two Mission Impossibles. You know, chances are it has something to do with drugs. Who knows, right? He did another movie, also a drug dealer. He did uh, Ozark, another drug dealer. You know, and so I'm looking at the people that I know and that I, I know are trying hard to stand out as Latin talent. All you get is the typical drug dealer, negative person, bad, bad, bad. And then so when you have the leader of the free world, it's like re-enhancing that as if it's reality. You kind of say, and I'm not saying I'm the person to do it, but I definitely will be part participating in it. So the idea is let us highlight people who have the talent. Let's give them an opportunity to be able to create with talent without the Hollywood, oh, well, we don't want your film. We need to offer our own distribution. We need to own our own distribution. We need to be able to allow them to really spread their wings. And it doesn't mean that it's gonna be shows in Spanish. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be all about Latinos, no. Right now, we did an interview um, with two uh, co-stars in a show that's on ABC called uh, The Baker and the Beauty. And the beautiful thing about that, uh, that, that story is that it's a Latin family in America doing American things. It's not about being Hispanic. They are acting Hispanic. They know that they come from a Hispanic background, but it's totally an American life. And they're not trying to shove Hispanicism or Latinoism or anything down anybody's throat. It's beautiful stories. It's love. It's family. And everybody should relate to it because that's what it is. And people need to understand that I'm not here trying to figure out where the next drug deal is going to be. I don't even drink coffee. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so I'm thinking, you know, Originally, I started thinking I don't want to do something that everybody else is doing. Like, I don't want another HBO. I want another Netflix. The good thing about Netflix is that they're really tapping into some of that international talent, and that's great. I want to be able to have the uh, international talent inside the U.S. have the ability to create. And so that's part of the direction that I'm going in right now. appreciate that, man. That's, that's great. Awesome. That's great. Because um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, you don't have to just talk about our pain. You can just talk about our progress. You can talk about our success. You know, it, it's not just about, you know, showing how the pain, um, but it's important too. No, no, like, I, I don't even want to go there. I want the next Star Wars to be Latin. You know, really? like, like, you know, uh, one of the uh, del Toro. I mean, he, that guy's making movies has nothing to do with being Hispanic. Right. You know, like it's, it's, children and love and sci-fi and fantasy we're living in dream worlds you know like most you know, worlds you know poe is a uh, hispanic uh oscar isaac yes yeah a lot of people don't know that and you know john boyega obviously is a, a black person so uh but um and we're going to get to your point, Natasha. I'm, I'm going to make sure we get into it. And if you guys have any questions while we have them, he, this guy is, is hard to pin down sometimes. So, you know, uh, if you got any questions about uh, anything, I think today he'll he'll uh, grant you with that knowledge. Um, and uh, Anna brings up Rick Nahara. Now, can I just say something 
uh, before I get into my Rick Nahara uh, question. Um, I, um, you know, you started doing the thing, um, uh, 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 Latino Thought Makers, right? And, uh, or at least I became aware of it because you were doing it for a while before I, before I uh, got on the train. And one thing that I really appreciate is a lot of people don't realize and, you know, I'm going to take myself out of it because it's going to sound selfish. But, you know, what a lot of us do is really, truly a gift, right? You know, people are bringing to you people that you would never be exposed to. You know, I mean, not only see, this is different from like a um, a, a, a pre-taped podcast. They're actually bringing you these people so that you can interact with them. You know what I'm saying? And there's a high value into that. And the reason why I say this is for some of us out there who are doing this on a regular basis, Ryan does it, uh, Natasha's starting to do it, Olaf does it with me, um, and uh, any other people that are out there doing their thing, make sure you give them that love, you know, and share, share, share. Because it's really, um, you know, they're giving a lot. And one thing that this dude does every Thursday is with um, Rick Nahara, and I'm going to let you go more deeper into Rick Nahara, is every week you have an outstanding guest that you bring to us. And I really appreciate it because people don't realize you don't just show up and just do this and it just happens. You don't roll out of bed even though I'm not wearing any pants right now, but uh, <laughs> you don't, you don't uh, just roll out of bed and do this. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of getting things together, making sure that people, you know, on the phone, sending emails, um, you know what I'm saying? Like it takes a lot of work to make these things happen. And I'm saying it, but you don't have to. So allow me just to say this because I really want people to understand is it, it is not easy, right? And you, my brother, my my brother from uh, Colombian mother, <laughs> you do this every week. And I just want you to know, I know I appreciate it. I like I seriously appreciate it. And I'm sure I'm going to speak for Ryan. I know he does as well. And you have fantastic guests like every there's never a bad episode like you really. It's like your Rolodex, you know, it's a good thing you don't live next to me because I totally was still your Rolodex. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 right, right. You know what I'm saying. So, just talk about um, the the show uh, Latino Thought Makers and just where it comes from. Talk about Rick Nahara and why it's such a labor of love for you. So, uh, one, I did not create Latino Thought Makers, so I just want to make sure that that's cleared up. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you where it came. Uh, so, a few years back, uh, I lived in Atlanta, um, married, had family, all that good stuff. And, uh, and I'm not married now. So, uh, when I was living in Atlanta, uh, I was, you know, getting involved. I started these businesses that had to deal with the entertainment industry, uh, for music and for, you know, the concepts I'm still pursuing today were being born. Um, and some of the technology was available. Some of the technology was not, um, people died, things changed, you know, and, and so that's the, of when you're one of the small guys, long story short, uh, so Rick Nahara is a, uh, former VP of uh, CBS. Hmm. And he's also known for uh, writing 
and training comedians uh, for shows like In Living Color and um, Matt TV, which I'm sure many of you recognize. Uh, he's done uh, shows on Hulu. He's done shows on CBS. He's done shows on ABC and Fox. So he's done, you know, he's known as a writer. He's also one of, I think, three Latinos ever to have two or three Broadway shows, uh, you know, as a Latino. Um, and and he writes for a lot of other countless uh so 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 he's well history and knows everybody. Uh, I I don't know everybody, but um, at the time I was a uh, I was do a brand ambassador for the Georgia Latino Film Festival, and in doing so, one of my concepts using live streaming in its early days before right about when Facebook first started allowing live streaming um, was to create a show to interview celebrities that would be participating in the Latino Film Festival to help promote the Latino Film Festival. So that's where I met uh, Esai, and that's where I met uh, Rick and a bunch of other great talent I'm friends with now, uh, but fully produced content that you, know, that you would not have been able to do back then. Uh, I have been live streaming and developing the process of live streaming for 14 years, maybe more. Uh, I always say 14, but that's been a few years ago. So it's probably 16 years now. I don't know. But because uh, I had thought, I knew I'd been exposed to live streaming back in 1997 with FUBU. And um, and I knew that concept was going to hold at some point. They failed because people still have 56 modem, 56K modems. But I knew that as soon as the internet's enough, this is a viable thing to happen. So I had already practiced. I had already learned how to be able to conduct interviews while changing graphics and visuals and stuff like that. And and so I did that. And that was my real best. Uh, the last part they mentioned before is a YouTube page where all those interviews are. And and it was really the great experiment. You know, can it be done? Now it can be done much easier with, you know, other uh, tools. But then it was hard. And so, uh, but I wanted to show how easy it was. By because I practice so much, so when you say uh, you don't just get up overnight, I, I, uh, Isai Morales and Rick Nahara, I found out ten minutes before we were going live that the interview was even happening. So I turned on my computer, I set up thirds, I, and on the fly, as they're talking about whatever they talk about, I'm bringing it up, and ready to put it on screen, all in real time. Mm-hmm. So. So there was no rehearsal. There was I, I knew nothing about these guys, and now they're some of my closest friends uh, because of the production. Because they knew that I didn't know anything about them, and then they saw the results, and they're just like, "Wow, which you know, like not even on television can they do all this stuff?" And that's where all that kind of became a thing. As soon as I started doing celebrities, all the manufacturers of the different hardware and software that I currently sell today. Instead of me asking them, can I sell your stuff? They called me and says, could you sell our stuff? And so it shifted and changed everything. Now, Rick uh, eventually uh, left CBS and this and that, and we became closer friends, and we talk all the time. And Then we came up with uh, ideas, and uh, COVID started. And I said, well, you know, all the late night shows stopped. They hadn't figured out how to do a live home broadcast yet i'm like we know how to do it 
let's do something. And he had been doing Latino thought makers in front of colleges where they're on stage, the celebrity sits on a couch right across from the show. Except there's probably a thousand students sitting in the audience watching. And that's it. There's no broadcast. There's nothing. I said, dude, let's just do it live. And he, he at first, he was like, how are we going to do that? Like, his concept was like, I don't understand how you're going to do it. I said, let me take care of the production. You do what you do. Let's get some guests and stuff like that. So our first guest was Edward James Almos. And before he, we talked about a concept, but he had other producers and he's like, oh, they want to do it through Zoom. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm hands off now. I mean, it's his show. It's his brand. I'm not going to do anything with and they got bombed. You know, mm. there was pornography. It was crazy. All within the first three minutes of live. Mm. And so they took that down. Facebook took it down. And uh, the question then became, all right, do we do today? And I said, no, I got you. Give me a minute. I'll get Edward, who did not have Chrome or nothing. <laughs> I'll figure out a way of getting Edward on the show. And we'll do it live. And there won't be any bombing or anything. I got total control. And they're like, does anybody want to do it? Everybody agreed. And we went live about two minutes later on the same timeline. And great, you know, and I cheated. I used every cheat technique that I've learned for 14 years on how to do it because he didn't even use Chrome. <laughs> he wow. used FaceTime. So, so Edward James almost FaceTimed me and I brought it into the show and had them conduct an interview in real time using StreamYard in a way that no one has ever done. And now uh, that blew up and made other doors open and stuff like that. So now we do a weekly show on StreamYard uh, with, you know, on our timelines and uh, we have amazing guests and that's all sure. Rick and, and, and his connections and my production. And then we share ideas and now we're doing other stuff as well. And that's opened up a bunch of other doors. Ryan, I'm gonna tell you why I love Carlos. I'm gonna tell you why I love Carlos. I literally give him a great open to this segment where I talk about, you know, it, it, you don't just roll out of bed and do this. It takes hard work. And the first thing I put out was, no, I kind of did it in two minutes. <laughs> no, because see, this, the part you missed is um, it took it took 14 years to get it to the point where it is now. Okay. Right. And so, so you know, the only reason, you know, uh, like, like he'll tell I guess to, for tonight, let's say, uh -huh. and I already have the workflow of how to create the lower thirds and all that type of stuff down to about five minutes, including original videos and stuff like that. Five minutes to prepare for the show, upload it to StreamYard and have it ready to go. So it's creating a, a workflow that is smooth, quick, and like you can, and, and I got that a lot from Good Morning America. Mm -hmm. um, I worked at Good Morning America very briefly. Um, I'm still friends with my boss, which is great. He's won seven Emmys since we met. Oh, wow. um, and uh, and because he's also an inventor. So he's invented, um, if you ever watch the X Games, uh, the cases that cameras go into, you have to go underwater or hit ice and all type of stuff, he invented and oh, then wow. won awards for that. So I will say, you know, looking back, because you got to understand, this is my regular typical life. So no outside in, it's like, how the hell do you know these freaking people? And me, it's like, well, how do I not know them? You know, it's almost like growing up in the neighborhood. And, um, you know, the, the Karis one, uh, for I met Chris, 
Blue KRS One, um, through a producer who, huh? Chris Parker. Yeah, um, through his producer of that album, and his producer had never won any awards, anything like that. We met, and I was very persistent. I always bothered him, and he's like, "Look, Carlos, if you wanna, you know, if you're gonna bother me, come over to my studio." So I went to the Bronx where they were actually recording. I got next. And it was his personal apartment and Chris was there and he introduced me and I brought some artwork and Chris loved my artwork. And so a year later, uh, Jive Records calls me and says, uh, Chris insists on having you. We wanted to do photography, but he wants you. Uh, and there's more details to the story. There's, a, there's actually a point in time we're on the phone with lawyers and Karis one as he's in a Jeep in Arizona and he's getting pulled over by the cops on the phone as we're talking about all these ideas that he has for the album cover where the lawyers are saying, we can't do that. We can't do that. He wanted Disney to be destroyed. He wanted um, Tupac and his tomb. He wanted all these elements and the, the lawyers are like, no, 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 no. And I'm just like <laughs> on the phone as he's getting pulled over by the cops. And um, fast, you know, so we did the album and all that type of success. Uh, it went platinum within the first week and multi-platinum and all stuff in Asia and everywhere. And so, uh, so it was great. Uh, and then I lost touch because I got really busy with other jobs and doing all the stuff that I explained just now. And it's now 20 years later and I hadn't spoken to Gordon Williams, producer. And I just called him up, um, I don't know, maybe six months ago, out of the blue. Because I was in a, in my, my heart and mind, I was in a point of appreciation. And I was like, you know what? I just I need to thank certain people that I never really th thought I gave my thanks to, and um, and it's because I was reflecting. You know, I got married and this and that, and I I walked away from a lot of people, hmm. so I, I was trying to walk back in, and so you know I didn't think he would remember me at all because we you know didn't really keep in touch, and I called him, and I'm like, hey man, uh, I don't know if you remember me, and I had to get the phone number through other people. I don't know if you remember me, but. Um, I did the carrot one. I'm cover. He's like, Carlos. Oh my God. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like he was like celebrating me. I mean, all this stuff. And I'm like, why? Oh, you understand. So I was hanging out with Quincy Jones and he is telling me how the old studio should be rebuilt. And, 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 and I should go and, and, and because he was having a little lapse of creativity and he's like, well, go back to where you were inspired. And he said that the biggest inspiration he got is when I was there with Chris at the same recording studio talking about the album and the album cover and all type of stuff. And so he has this conversation with Quincy Jones and then I call out of the blue and to him it was like a big ass sign. Like that's what you need to do. So he, he invites me over to the studio. We go meet and, and then we're talking about the past and all this stuff you understand you inspired me in so many different ways this and that and I'm like how did I inspire anything like I paid I did a painting and he got eight Grammys you know <laughs> since we met uh, with uh, Lauren Hill uh, Will Smith you know all these great artists and I'm just like my mind was blown like I had nothing to do with this he's like no, you don't understand you don't you gotta take credit where it's due this and that and I'm like <laughs> and so I just I'm I'm fascinated sometimes with my own stories because I'm seeing all these great creative people succeeding in ways that I never would have thought. 
and I have to just appreciate any participation I have at all in any of it. So being able to do these interviews and stuff like that allows me to go back in time because a lot of these people are people I've even know I, I know go into stories um, like the directors from Disney who were people I went to high school with, and I get to bring those stories to people here and share them in ways that are different from television because we can talk about how we had sketchbooks in the bathroom and got to draw, you know, inspiring paintings while we're taking a dump. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you, know, you can hear those stories from Walt Disney or any animator or, or, or artist and stuff like that. And we get to have that kind of sharing and it's great. You know, you just talked about eight Emmys after knowing you for, I mean, uh, no, 14 Emmys and eight Grammys. So does that mean me and Ryan are going to get a YouTube or something? Since we know you, it's, it's possible. Um, I have another friend of mine that I trained um, how to edit. I, I taught him how to do Premiere and Final, and uh, and he just got his first Emmy last year. So, um, so good luck. <laughs> I was gonna. One of my questions for you, um, because I, I find find you to be a remarkable guy. You know, I have a lot of respect for you. Um, you know, you're when when people give you the time to talk, um, if it's not about your history, you know, it, you're, you're pretty intelligent about a lot of different aspects of life. Um, and you know, you, you are also very passionate about civil rights and, you know, things Mm. of that nature. So, you know, I've kind of seen you kind of unravel your layers, you know, are starting to get to know more of your layers as I get to, you know, as time goes on. Um, one of my questions for you is, you know, in where do you see yourself five years from now? And what do you think you would have accomplished or not would have, but, you know, like, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next five years? Um, that's good. Uh, so it's something that's been in the planning for probably 15, 20 years, but, um, what I want to accomplish is a new generation for media. So, um, part of what I'm trying to establish is what others are, haven't seen do yet. So I see companies, uh, creating their online radio stations and stuff like that, uh, podcasting networks, um, self-publishing publication companies, um, you know, obviously you see uh, Netflix and Hulu and, and, and Amazon and all these other channels. And what I want to do in the next five years is create all of that under one company and create a competitor that is not influenced by Hollywood. And hopefully uh, with these connections, the right resources, the technology, um, everything that you see me do are just one of the puzzle pieces including the opportunity to bring the audience into the fun. And so um, that's part of what I'm trying to build is create the next generation of entertainment where you're actually part of it. So that's, that's uh, the next five years. Mm, okay. Now we, we do have a question from the audience. Let me uh, scroll up, make sure I answer it. It's a tech question. Uh, Natasha is getting into podcasting and streaming and such, and she wants to know, how can I get an audio podcast? Uh, Ask him how to get on audio podcast platforms like Google Podcasts. So um, uh, that's a pretty straightforward thing. Um, I'm not. 
two uh, podcasts. Uh, we're in the process of developing one now. We're going to shoot content for it tomorrow, as a matter of fact. But um, Google Podcasts is one of the platforms. Um, so I'm going to highly recommend you look into what your goal is as, as far as your podcast. iTunes is uh, well, podcast the king. But um, one of the strategies that we're using, for example, is iHeartRadio, where it's a um, so some of the passing platforms, uh, Switcher, iHeartRadio, um, there's a bunch of others. Stitcher. They are doing agreements with certain podcasters where they have an exclusive. Spotify. Right. Spotify. So in the exclusive uh, Spotify, the perfect example. Um, and uh, so they're trying to do exclusives and they'll put ads in it and they'll do all the work while you do the content and, and then exclusive for a little bit. And then it gets released to the public. So the agreement is up to you guys and all that stuff, but you have to create really powerful, compelling content for them to even care or be interested in you. Um, fortunately I'm doing it with Rick. And of course there's some power and strength there. We, the big event on Mayo with iHeartRadio, So that opened some doors and, um, and and there's a lot more stuff that I'll be doing that will have a unique twist of using live streaming technology in ways that have not been used before. And that's my um, part of what I, I like to do is break something that exists. So just the other day I did um, my first real full blown stream on Instagram and Facebook simultaneously with the ability to have up to six guests on camera on both simultaneously. Wow. Uh, and because I haven't seen anybody, I'm like, man, I could do that. <laughs> so, and, and I wanted to show that it could be done. The problem is you're breaking the rules and I can't teach it because I don't want anybody to get mad at me if they get knocked out of Instagram. But I wanted to be able to first see what it would look like and be uh, as soon as they lighten up a little bit, boom, be one of the first. And if I can do that with celebrities and all that stuff, of course, you know it's going to happen. We're going to be skyrocketing and all that type of stuff. I like to be before the technology per permits it. I've been doing live streams since way before Facebook and all that stuff and practicing, 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 which is why I said I can just get up over, you know, at night and in two minutes have a, a show going. Anyway, back to the question. I'm sorry. Um, I like using Anchor if it's audio podcast. Uh, you know, it's just a simple way of you put a show together and then it gets distributed to all these different platforms without having to know all the geeky stuff. But um, but if you need the geeky stuff, that's a one-on-one conversation if you're looking specifically at Google Podcasts. But understand they have a certain audience. You've got to know who is listening to what. Uh, so there's a little bit of research that's needed. Um, but eventually you want to have it on all platforms, not just on one. All right. All right. All right. So before we get out of here, I have to bring up uh, something that you've been doing since COVID. And... Um, it's the uh, let's uh, getting to it's let's getting to know you, which uh, the letters <laughs> always throw me off. So can you uh, so say it let's get to know each other live? Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, it's something I think you're on episode what 59 or something. Yeah, it's in the 50s. Um, I just because COVID is starting to open up and all that type of stuff, I, I'm switching it to now going to interviews. Um, and uh, so you'll find with written the one that's doing the interviews i'm doing the production uh with let's get to know each doing the production interview 
and I'm trying to push what the specific platform that I'm using can do. So I'm constantly just adding things that people may or may not be doing and just making it have a, a different look and flavor so that nobody even thinks that I'm using that same platform. Uh, anyway, that being said, uh, the interviews are similar to what I've been doing before, which is uh, I like to get to know somebody. And I, at Raw, uh, I don't really prepare. You know, I, I don't do a lot of research on the person because I really want to know them right here in front of everybody. And then at the end, I'd like to bring some of the audience on camera. And that's part of the concept stuff that I want to do in the future. So be able to bring someone who might be a movie star or something like that, and then bring people on camera that would just love to ask questions and stuff. So we did that with Isaiah We did a five-hour, let's get to know each other with Isaiah Morales. And he was there all five hours. And we brought people on camera, and they talked. And we get to learn that they're just normal people like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of allowed. And so when we normalize everybody, having the concept of being able to bring them together uh, becomes a little bit more feasible. Now, I have to say, I love to come on to your show and stir up shit. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, I've, uh, you know, in, in my, my, uh, fun way, I think, I think it's fun. At least for me, it is. Uh, <laughs> so I love to make Carlos sweat. Uh, that is the funnest thing because, uh Carlos Carlos is a good dude, right? And I'm I'm probably wrong for this, but some certain conversations I won't get into it, he kind of doesn't love. And I'm the jerk that will bring those conversations up just to see him sweat a little bit. And mm-hmm. it is so much fun to me personally. I just want to know that's where I get my joy from. Carlos. <laughs> Thanks. That's where I get my joy. And you know, you're a good dude. You're a real good dude. And you take, you know, like you take my abuse pretty good. And I gotta say, you he's never gotten really mad at me. Uh so let me hit on uh not so much the topics, <laughs> but as to uh, let me let me hit on why I don't get upset. Um so now we get into a little bit deeper stuff. Uh, I used up I'd say about 95% of all my anger that will exist for the rest of my life mm. in my youth. Mm. But there, was, there was a point in time when my heart was broken and it was broken in a way that was really distasteful. Uh, my best friend ended up sleeping with the girl I was in love with at the time. Mm. And so uh, that brought up a lot of anger. I was just bitter because he knew, you know, obviously he knew, she knew, and every friend in my group knew. Mm. So, so, so that, was the last time I ever had something I would call a best friend. It's the last time I ever had, you know, friends that I hang out with on a consistent basis. I don't have that even today. Mm. So, so I have a lot of time to be able to on all the things that I'm talking about uh, because I don't have the normal lifestyle that people have, which is having the barbecues, <laughs> having to hang out with buddies, you know, that type of stuff. Um, okay with it because again, I used up all the anger back then. Mm. So, for me to get ticked off for something. I mean, outside of somebody getting murdered, really don't have anger or or, or bitterness because uh, because I grew out of that, and now I'm just trying. You know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm I'm very comfortable with almost anything in terms of uh, knowing people, getting to meet people, being challenged by people, being questioned by people. Uh, you know, not everything I say is 100% correct, and I understand that. There are times when, you know, uh, people, let's say, I'll just use faith. 
Uh, we'll get into a conversation about faith. And I'm not a person that's trying to twist or, or, or convince people that my way is right. Uh, and some people, you know, it, it's, I like to have those conversations that people are afraid to have because I'm not going to get angry. I'm, I'm not going to fight so that you can convince me or me to try to convince you. But I do learn and I get exposed to a lot of new information of how people see things in life. And uh, so sometimes when you come in and you poke, I'm like, all right, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Let's do this. And then, you know, and then we learn. Now, there are times, you know, that uh, I can't say it's crossing the line, but people will play too. And then I feel like I have to kind of draw the line. And, you know, and, and sometimes it might hurt somebody and stuff. And I try not to do that. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't feel like I really crossed the line. I don't think. No, no. I mean, it's not that you did, but right, but it, right. it puts it puts uh, it creates a situation where you're kind of like people might see an open door and they want to walk through it, and I'm like, okay, wait, no, <laughs> not, not. I've opened that, the door. That, 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 that particular door isn't open. <laughs> I've opened the door to the line crossing. That's yeah, hilarious. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> my my final question for you, Carlos. Um. And the thing, you see, it's hard to read you. Okay. You're, you have this very stern face and, um, you know, and you can, you only, you know, you, we only get a glimpse of who you are through some of the things that you post on your social media, whether you're passionate mm. about a social issue. But one thing that I wanted to talk to you about that a lot of people don't really bring up and, um, you know, and, and we've seen, uh, like, we, I've been on Let's Get to Know Each Other. I think it's amazing. A lot of women hit on you, etc. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to make you laugh. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you're a father. And um, yeah. being a father myself, I understand the joy that it brings, um, you know, seeing my son. You know, he's animating right now, doing full-fledged nice. animations and stuff. Um, and I know that one of your daughters, they, uh, she graduated, um, and then you have another daughter that comes and see, sees you. And then you guys do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, you know, with your camera, you guys are just doing a lot of goofy, goofy things together. And I, you know, I just wanted to just get a glimpse, like what type of father are you and, and what are your aspirations for your children? Hmm. Great question. Um, cool. Uh, so, so I have two girls. Um, one is my stepdaughter and one is my you know, blood daughter. And, um, uh, but I, I love them both dearly. The one, um, my stepdaughter, I've been her dad since I was, she was four. And, uh, so, so I know what it's like to be, let's say a stepdad and, and tackle that whole, everything that comes with that. Uh, one, I'm very strong minded in terms of what I hope their education is like. Uh, I help them with their homework. Um, I'm, I'm very into being a family man. And so so there's a lot of love there. All they've ever seen, regardless of the divorce, is love. You know, they've never seen me angry, mad, fight, you know, big scenes in the house, none of that stuff. Um, I don't drink, so alcohol in the house, nah. I don't smoke, so none of that was ever in the environment. I was always very focused on uh, sharing, you know, creativity, sharing what my world was like and how to be different from everybody else's. Now, as they grow up, they're like, oh, we heard that story, Dad. Now, they get <laughs> to them talking about celebrities and stuff. 
Um, in my relationship, uh, we didn't. I didn't do a lot with celebrities. I, I occasionally had a famous celebrity come over. Um, I think it was like uh, Wanye Morris from Boys to Men. I didn't, you know, brought him over for dinner. But but a lot of my stories, they're like, yeah, right. Um, and until now, they're like, oh my god, every freaking week he's with some other celebrity. Uh, that they realized that all my stories may have been real. <laughs> and uh, right, because you know, I left the entertainment industry by the time I got married. So I didn't, I'm not a guy who hangs with anybody. I don't bars, I don't do any of that stuff. So, um, anyway, so as a dad, uh, I was the guy who helped them do their homework. Uh, sometimes the ex wife would go to China or whatever job, I'd be the cook, and I'd do their, their laundry and all that type of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty humble, I think, in that stuff. Um, but you know, I, I never wanted to be the overly strict dad, although I was in certain things. An example would be, Hey dad, I don't want to color my hair purple. And I'd be like, Oh no, you don't want to do that. Or Hey dad, I want to get into goth. And I'm like, Oh, you want to do that? Trust me. You know, and, and stuff like that. So I had certain things that I was always like, <laughs> concept is, and most teenagers concept is we're individuals. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Everybody's trying to be individual, and that's what makes you not an individual. Understanding what is the same is bigger. And um, and I think part of that is starting to become a reality for them. Because, I mean, look at what's going on in the world. And if they understand truly that we're not, we don't need to become completely individualized. We're unique by default. I mean, you know, you don't have to do anything to make yourself unique. But understanding that we're not that unique, I think, is more powerful and stronger. And I hope uh, in uh, in their upbringing that that becomes the reality for them. So, uh, so yeah. So when my daughter comes to New York and we hang out and stuff like that, it's just all about love. I mean, there's really nothing else. Um, whenever she's ever been in trouble, whether it's with her mom or with friends or whatever, she calls me. I'm her buddy. I'm her dad. Uh, and and I give her the advice that she needs to hear. And uh, there have been times when she would be scared, maybe a lightning storm, and she's in another state, and we'd FaceTime until she's asleep, and we wake up tomorrow morning on FaceTime. Aww. And I don't and I don't have a problem with that, you know. Aww, man. I have to say, both you and Ryan, um, when I kind of got to know you guys from a, a father standpoint, it. it it did up the, I don't want to just say like, I didn't have respect for you before then, but uh, like, it's just something about when you hear the kind of parent that some people are and how much it just gives you another view of a person. And I've heard you talk about your girls before and stuff. And it always kind of, you know, and the same thing I see Ryan with his son and all that. Uh, I don't have any children, but I have been called daddy before, but that's another story. Uh, but, uh, you know, so... <laughs> So, uh, but okay, I, really, I didn't even get that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but I really, I really respect you guys as men, as fathers, as uh, creative individuals, man. And it, it, you know, I'm really happy to know you guys. So, um, and I'm looking forward to the future, man. I'm looking forward to what that means. Uh, I'm looking forward to what you guys come up with. Uh, you know, from a creative standpoint. Uh, different avenues, you know, you have fan, both of you guys have a fan in me and I want to support you guys a hundred percent. And, and uh, I know I'm not alone in that. So 
kudos to you, you uh, fine people. So um, before we say goodbye, uh, um, what, how can we get you in social media? When can we check out your programming? And is there anything we should be on the lookout specifically coming up? Um, well, I mean, Carlos Phoenix, pretty much in all social media. Um, I do have other business names that are in social media, but you know, you can find that on my profile. Uh, and uh, same thing with Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, I'm, I'm just more encouraged to see what technology brings. Uh, I'm a little saddened at the concepts that, that the world has right now in terms of what is our reality. And I'm hoping that at some point there's immunity in that because that will help businesses thrive. Right, it's, it's not just about uh, individuality and, and and rights and all type of stuff. It goes well beyond that. It goes into like the success of the world um, to become a world, as opposed to just anger and hatred and, and just self destruction. Because we learned how easily it is to destroy ourselves. Right, it just took a breath, and it either that breath got you sick to the point of death or sick to the point where you survive, but you. But now other stuff happens. Crazy, this world that we're in. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, that's my social media. Um, in the future, hopefully, uh, everything I talk about will will succeed. And if not, I'll change with the times and make sure that it can become something rather than nothing. I have no expectations, um, no fear. Uh, it's just all about thriving forward and seeing what 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 we can make of it. I love it, man. And just to, for people to know, not only does he have great information, great knowledge, but um, very forthcoming uh, about a lot of stuff with his life, with his career and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I mean, you you really well, you share quite a bit. And it's always I think uh, it's not on. A, it's funny because some of it might be sad or whatever, but you don't I don't feel like you're you know, you're doing this, you know, you're just explaining what's going on in your life so uh, you know so, let, let me elaborate a little bit on that um because i've explained it before but you know since we're in the context of this really mm -hmm. quick um 10 maybe 12 years ago i had suffered a stroke and in the process of that stroke the uh, you know i didn't have any physical damage per se not externally but uh it caused short-term memory loss and in that process of short-term memory loss uh you know I'm, I'm losing different chunks of memory here and there and i don't know what it is or where it is or what you know and how to stop it for that matter so i know that you know, our time is limited then you look at something like covid and like you know what my next breath might get me sick where i could die uh so between me losing memory and you know you never know when you're gonna die it's like why why stress anything so i'm very transparent very open my life is an open book you can ask about just about anything and, um, and why not? Like, what's the secret? There's no, there's nothing, you know, the, it's not bragging. It's more, you know what, if you can pick anything in my life and learn something from it, cool, I'll teach it. It's yours. Uh, because if I die tomorrow, well, and then nobody knew about it. So, so that's kind of where that comes from. And, uh, and one of the expressions I use is um, when your grandmother or your aunt or somebody in the family dies and you kind of think of them as a guardian angel and Things that you say when someone is, oh, well, they're relieved. They, they don't have the stress of life anymore. They don't have the bills to pay anymore. And I'm more of a thought of, well, why do we have to wait till we're dead? Why not live that way now? So I want to, I, I, so I live as I, if I was dead, but without the stresses, you know, I try not to get stressed on things because, you know, that causes gray hair. And, uh, 
And it also causes cancer and stuff. So why make yourself sick over life that is not even going with you when you die? Then with what you have left in life, use it to help people. Why not? You know, I mean, there's nothing else left in the world. And, and looking at everything that's been happening in the world, we need people to start helping, not pushing old men down and making them bleed on the floor for no reason at all. Like there's no no purpose to it. So anyway, so that's that. That's where that comes from. Well, I definitely appreciate that for sure. Um, so Ryan, how can we get you social media? What should we be on the lookout for? You should check out uh, Hustle Zone and Hustle Zone TV on Instagram, or you can find us on YouTube at Hustles on TV. And we're going to get another vegan uh, sitcom episode. Uh, another vegan episode. I We we put a pause because of, you know, of the events, but uh, it should be coming out next week. Okay. Yeah, because you don't want to abuse. Are, 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 you, are you taking a submission uh, for episodes? <laughs> Bert, so, yeah, if you have ideas, I'm, I'm taking, um, you know, uh, I'm taking suggestions or, you know, submissions or anything like that, because I think that, you know, a lot of people dislike vegan so much. That's why I want to play with it. And, uh, you know, if people have any ideas, I'd be open to it for sure. All right. All right. You can get me at Kente F on, um, Instagram. I mean, sorry, I can't even own my own shit. Uh, you can get me Kente <laughs> F on Twitter. Kente Ferguson on Instagram. And of course, the website is indyradio.org. That's I-N-D-Y radio.org. Next week, we have another busy week. Uh, Monday, we're going to be doing another Men and Women Talk to Mars Venus show. We're going to be talking uh, part two of our Black Men and Vulnerability episode. Uh, We're going to do it. um, uh, It's still going to be on Get Vocal, but we're going to do it from StreamYard. So we'll be able to allow more people to join that conversation. And uh, also Thursday night, we're going to have a special Mars Venus episode. We're going to have a poetry night and people are participating. We're going to have an open mic as well as people who are, are going to be scheduled to come on. And I'm working on a couple of other uh, shows for next week as well. So hopefully Ryan will come through and do something, something. And uh, I'm going to read something. I'm not a poet. Uh, I'm going to either do a freestyle or maybe I'll read uh, some poetry that... Um, uh, that that really moves me. So um, a good friend of mine, uh, Alvin Grimes, is going to come through. I was so happy. He's a great poet and musician, and a good friend of mine. He's going to come through and some other people. So if you want to participate, let me know if you want to share something, you know. So uh, uh, we are accepting uh, people to come on. So with that said, you guys will, we'll, you know, I'll be on for a little bit for a post chat, but uh, you guys have a great rest of your week. God bless you. And, uh, or actually we're on the weekend now, right? It's Friday. So uh, <laughs> have a good weekend. God bless you guys.